welcome to the APA podcast, episode eight. I'm Ilsa, and today I'm joined by Sarah Harvey, the founding director of Savvy Conversations. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Um, I'm, I'm Ilsa, and welcome to the APA podcast. I'd love for you to uh, introduce yourself and, and share with our listeners, uh, you know, who you are um, and what it is that you do. Lovely. Thanks very much. And thanks for, for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm Sarah Harvey. Um, I work in the UK and um, I'm a leadership coach primarily. And I work with organisations on their values and culture, as well as training, training managers um, and dealing with a bit of workplace mediation as well. So um, that's the kind of um, remit that I tend to focus in on these days. Um, and over the last couple of years, I've really focused in on the type of conversations that we have in the workplace. Um, and so um, I've, I've really researched and got, gone into what makes what I call a savvy conversation. Um, and of course, now what I, which we'll come on to is how that then impacts on us um, when so many of us are uh, working from home. Yeah, and it has been an interesting time, you know, with, with the COVID, I guess the current climate of people moving towards, you know, working remotely and working from home. Can you, I guess, talk to us about, you know, what these savvy conversations are? It's such a great word. It's such a great expression. I'd, I'd love to know more about that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the reason I um, went with savvy is because during my career, my career has been um, uh, largely within um, human resources and organisational development. And during that time, you know, it occurred to me, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of conversations that have to happen that are quite pivotal. And um, many of them are labelled as difficult. And so we often, you know, run difficult conversations courses and teach people how to get on with other people when we're sort of expecting it to be really, really difficult. And so what I wanted to do was really focus on, well, how do we make those conversations more savvy? How do we go into um, those conversations thinking that we can have a positive impact on them? So no matter sort of how tricky um, the uh, relationship is or the situation is, we ought to be able to come with some tools and some know-how to um, you know, hopefully get the best outcome that we can. So I said about sort of creating a practical framework for those effective workplace relationships to be built. Um, and, you know, somebody um, suggested to me that in terms of um, the workplace and relationships at work, um, conversations are the smallest units of change. And I thought that's such a lovely phrase to use. Um, and so that's my starting point, really. So basically, I've, I've um, come up with a framework which covers the... Um, what I call the conversational culture, the, 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 the things that need to be in place for the right conversations to be had in the right way at the right time. Um, and then a more of a conversational model that people can go away and use to help them tweak their own approach. So if they're not quite getting the results they want, um, or they're not maintaining positive relationships as much as they'd like to, um, adapt our approach to, to get better results, basically. 
Yeah, this sounds like such a useful tool. And I, I feel that probably everybody listening, potentially anybody who's ever had a, an interaction with another person can appreciate how important it is to have, you know, supportive tools for working through conflict, but even just in being able to, I guess, have any form of human connection or interaction. That, that's right, absolutely. You know, um, how do we create a high-performing team? Um, how do we get the best out of ourselves and those around us if we're not having good um, conversations on a day-to-day -day basis? It's those day-to-day -day conversations that really make the difference, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, we focus very much and, you know, good, good strategies are always good. We focus on communication strategies. We focus on big change programs. But actually, when it comes down to it, it's the conversations we have that make the difference. What, what do you feel like, I guess, in, in your experience has been like the, the one thing that really prevents people having a, a productive or, or a good conversation, particularly when there's, when there's an element of conflict involved? Yeah, good question. Um, I suppose really um, the, main, the main issue is our own emotions. Um, and if we can learn how to recognise, um, first of all, recognise our emotions, you know, what's going on for us in the moment, um, and also then recognise what's going on for other people and how, what are they feeling, then actually we can, we've got somewhere, some, something to work with. Um, it's very difficult if our emotional intelligence levels are not what they need to be. Um, you know, it's very easy for us to get caught up in our own stories and um, not see things from another person's perspective. And actually, with the whole COVID situation at the moment, that's re really highly relevant. It's always been relevant, but it's so relevant now because not everyone is going through this in the same way. And so it's really important for us to be able to um, see the world through somebody else and through their emotions that they're feeling. So it's usually the emotions that kick off any conflict. Mm, that's such a great point. And what I, I guess what I'm hearing from you is that there's in order for there to be productive and, and healthy conversations and dialogues that each individual really is responsible for having emotional awareness, but also being able to empathise with whoever it is that they're speaking with. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and, it's, and it is something we can learn. So, you know, some people are better at it more naturally than others. But um, what I've learned is that we can all learn to be better um, at empathising, at, at emotional intelligence more generally. Um, and actually, it's quite empowering for people, isn't it? If, they, if they've had a few um, bits of conflict happen over their careers or something, uh, if they've had conversations that they've tackled and they've gone wrong, actually, it's quite empowering for them to realise that there are things that they can do, regardless of how difficult somebody else might actually be there are things that they can do to change their approach um, and, and to manage their own emotions more, uh, more helpfully for them, but also, um, you know, practical things that they can do. How do they show that they're sensitive to the other person's needs? How, how do we move things on and stop repeating the same conversation over and over again um, when we're not getting anywhere? You know, things like, things like that can be really helpful for people. And so for somebody who has been in a position where, you know, potentially they're experiencing 
uh, frustration about continuously coming up against the same problems in their in their workplaces in their professional conversations. What would be you know I guess one tool or one piece of uh, advice that you could give somebody who's experiencing that? Well, I suppose the main bit of advice is um, to actually have the conversation with somebody about it. So a lot of the time we will avoid the conversation and there's really good reasons why we avoid it. We don't want to, you know, put ourselves in a position where we feel more vulnerable. But actually, uh, a lot of the time, if we approach it in the right way, um, we can actually have that conversation um, with somebody to sort of say, look, this is how this has made me feel. Uh, I know, you know, people don't always like to talk about feelings and what have you in it. Uh, but it, but it, what I've learned is it's not, this is not touchy feely stuff. This is, this is really core stuff to our own well-being and to the success and productivity of the organization as well. So if we can encourage people to actually sit down with one another and talk through what those issues are, um, then that, that that's going to be beneficial. Um, but I realise that's much easier said than done. Um, so, so, I mean, it's probably worth me just highlighting very quickly, there's, there's, there's five quick um, uh, headings, if you like, um, that, that can guide people. So um, we need to know that we're going to be candid enough, so being honest, so really making sure that we're honest, um, that we're respectful at the same time, otherwise we would come across as potentially rude. Um, that we properly engage people with the conversation so we don't just talk at them but we make sure it's a two-way dialogue. Um, we keep in mind the direction that we want to move in so that we do move it on and we don't keep repeating the same conversation over and over again and then we're sensitive to what's going on for the other person and um, sorry I know you asked me for one thing but, but those are the five key things that I've found um, make up a, a conversation which is going to make sure that you have the right conversation in the right way at the right time. And that's a really that's a really wonderful uh, framework, and I actually really appreciate that. You know, just for, for my for my own knowledge and to taking into, I guess, my own conversations, and and I love to have, you know, conversations where you know there's a deep, I guess, human quality to it, and you know, I, I think that we're seeing a culture that's emerging where the, the quality of the connection and of the conversation and, and the humanness between those people is becoming more valued within our professional environments. Yeah, that's really good to hear, actually. I, I, I sense that too. And um, particularly over the last few months, um, I think people have really focused in on that human connection, haven't they? And, uh, and how we maintain relationships while we're, um, physically distanced from one another and you know how, how do we do that as an ongoing basis how, how do we create that space virtually um, for people to actually still make the human connections that we all need because fundamentally we're you know we're we're human humans who need to have connections with other humans that's how we survived as a species so um, we still need that today. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's incumbent on all of us to build the time to have those sort of quality um, moments, really, and not just be transactional. So, you know, it's very, it's very easy when we're working in isolation, we're working from home, away from colleagues, very easy for us to get in our own little bubble 
and only interact with other people when we want something from them or when we need to just communicate a clear message or something like that. But actually, what, what do we do about the human connection bit? You know, how, how do we do that? Um, one, one of the bits of research um, that I did for the homeworking book, I discovered that 8% um, of our time um, when we're working in an office with one another or in a, in a, um, a location where we're all together, 8% of our time is, is kind of social time. So that's, you know, not talking about business, not talking about work, but how important is that 8%? And, um, you know, I think what, what we're saying is um, people are realising how important that 8% is now. Mm. Yeah, I guess that there would be a link between, you know, having just that social and that sense of belonging to, to a community, which might be the organisation that you that you work for and, and those you know, other people, your colleagues, forming part of your working community that you're spending time with every day and having a sense of safety and connection in that space. Really, I suppose it would facilitate productivity and efficiency when you're you know, then sitting down to, to focus on tasks or, or projects. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if you need me to, if you need me to put myself out and stop doing what I'm doing, because I need to help you out on, on a, on, you know, on a project that's more important uh, right now or more urgent, then what, why am I going to do that at the expense of my, my schedule, unless we've built that human connection? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a sense of obviously um, responsibility there, but I, I'm far more likely to help you out and be willing and wanting to do that and work together collaboratively if we've already made those good human connections with one another. Mm. Uh, we are now in this, I guess, more virtual or digital working space um, with the COVID uh, situation still being really present globally. Are you seeing any trends um, that are that are supportive of maintaining, you know, relationship and connection within organisations? I think it's um, probably a bit early to tell. Um, but obviously, um, I, I, think what it's, I think what it's done is um, it's accelerated the flexible working that a lot of people were kind of toying with um, before. So that, that for me, I think is a trend that we're starting, I can't really call it a trend right now because where a lot of us are having to embrace the, the flexible working. But I think what it's done is it will create a trend for the future. So once people can go back to work, um, I'm sure they will, um, but I think it will have accelerated um, people working in a different way. So, you know, I think where those organisations previously were a bit more reluctant to allow flexible working, allow home working, um, they saw it as an exception rather than the rule. I think now what's happened is we've proven the case that actually in many, many situations, home working can be very productive. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no need for us to be um, co-located all of the time um, on the flip side of that I think we're also now with that far into um, uh, working separately that I think people are also now starting to say oh do you know what I really miss this social interaction I'm missing my colleagues I miss the the energy that I get from them um, and I miss being collaborative so I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to make sure that we're using the technology that's available to us 
to um, create that space for a bit more collaborative working. Um, so I guess um, yeah, th those those I think will be the trend for the next six to twelve months, I suppose. Mm, um, but I who knows? I'm just predicting, uh, you know, <laughs> from 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 what we're seeing at the moment, and from what 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 everyone seems to be saying. That I think I think that's the case. I don't think we're going to rush back um, to how we were before. But I'm not necessarily bought into the idea that there's going to be a totally different way of working. Mm. I think it, all it's done is just accelerate where, where we were going anyway. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. and I can totally relate to, you know, enjoying the, you know, the being able to work from home and having that level of flexibility, but also, you know, really missing being part and being with my, my team on a day-to-day -day basis. So, mm -hmm. you know, for those people who, who are still working at home and, and in Australia here, we, you know, have got less cases of COVID than what you have over in the UK. And um, so where our social distancing uh, rules are already starting to shift. Um, but for those who are still really working remotely and working from home, what tools would you, um, would you give them? Um, I think the ones that people ask me for um, most often um, there's obviously the whole kind of well-being um, tools, and I think a lot of people have said a lot about that. I, I do talk about it in, in the ebook, but um, you know that's been well rehearsed. I think in terms of you know getting out more and exercising and looking after yourself physically. Um, so you know that's definitely one aspect to it. So I'm not I'm not making light of that. Um, but the other part that people ask me a lot about is more the practical tips for things like, um, how do I get going in the morning when I just don't feel like it and I haven't got to go and do my commute? Um, so that's that kind of overcoming procrastination and organizing your time. So those sorts of things. Um, so a few, few tips, I suppose, that, that, um, that I think probably most people would have thought of, but we're maybe not as disciplined as we should be with them. So things like, you know, signing out of your social media um, and only deciding to check it once or twice a day or, you know, at a specific time rather than um, being distracted by it um, constantly. Um, because one, you know, one of the other things that is a real realization for me is that multitasking is a myth and we can't multitask. We just switch tasks really quickly between, um, between things. So if we're constantly going from social media to checking emails, to writing a report, actually our brain, you know, takes a, it takes a lot of brain power to do that. Um, as we're constantly switching from one thing to another. So it's not very efficient. Um, and people have been sort of um, commenting that they're feeling more exhausted now that they're working from home. Um, my suspicion is that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Uh, I think mean, there'll be several reasons, but, you know, that, that's one of the reasons I think we just need to focus on one thing at a time. Um, obviously, things like setting realistic goals and trying to have a plan the night before and sticking to it if you, where you can. Um, but I like really simple tools. Like I don't know if you've come across the Pomodoro technique. Um, so it is basically just to set a timer. Um, so you know when when you need to just start something and you just can't get going, um, set a timer on your. These days it would be on your mobile phone or, or, or something, and just set twenty minutes. And you know 
really commit to not doing anything else for that 20 minutes other than the piece of work that you're trying to do. And um, sometimes you'll get into the flow really quickly and 20 minutes will just fly by and then you'll be off and running. Um, and other times that 20 minutes will seem like a whole day as you sit at a blank screen or, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do. But it's really important to just sort of have that commitment to just stay with it for 20 minutes. Um, and then not get distracted, not get distracted by social media or anything else. Stick with it. And I, I use it myself. And when I wrote, when I wrote my book, um, I had to use it. Sometimes, that, you know, it just didn't feel like a day that I could write. Um, and so I've, I got used to this technique. And I, and I think it's a really good one. Simple but effective. Yeah, simple. And it's something I discovered a few years ago now um, was that to to be present to one task is actually deeply relaxing. And it's not that, that stress mm. of trying to multitask or navigate multiple screens or multiple conversations. It's actually just very relaxing to just focus on the one task and to allocate time, you know, just for that and know that yeah. at, at the end of that time, you will have something, even if it's just a start. Yeah, absolutely. And by then, at least your brain's hopefully got into the right mode to, to carry on from that point. And if you need to, you set the timer for another 20 minutes and another 20 minutes <laughs> and do it all day if you have to. <laughs> absolutely. Well, that's a great tip. And uh, I, have, I have seen uh, the other tips that you have there. Are there any other quick tips that you'd like to share with our listeners uh, yes, what shall I share? Um, I think there's a couple of things. Um, so um, eat that frog's another interesting one. That's not one of mine. I'm not claiming it, but it's a good one. So I think Mark Twain um, allegedly um, coined the phrase. So he, he said, if you eat a live frog first thing in the morning, that's probably the worst thing you're going to have to do for the day. So everything else will be better <laughs> from there. And I love that. <laughs> So basically what that tells us is if you've got something that's dwelling, if you've got a deadline, if you've got a really important piece of work that you need to get get on with, do it first thing in the morning, get it out of the way, and then you'll find the day goes much better from then. So I really like that as a kind of lighthearted but really important message. And then on a kind of more, I suppose, psychological level, um, I would say um, practice listening. And that might sound a bit dull, <laughs> um, but I, I think it's really important that we properly listen when we're engaging with people. So <clears throat> we're spending a lot of time on our own, but we're also spending a lot of time on uh, Zoom calls, on telephone calls, video conferences of various types. And I think we're starting to fall into the trap of um, booking those back to back on some days. So I think that would be my, um, my, my last tip really would be around giving yourself a break from those in between because you won't be able to engage fully if you're back to back with those types of meetings. We've got a limited attention resource in our brain. And so if we're going to properly listen and engage with people, we need to make sure that we're um, giving ourselves a break from that and, and just be, like you said, be, be absolutely present when we're having those calls. Mm. yeah great great tips um well thank you so much for your time Sarah it's been really wonderful to to speak with you and to learn more about you know communication and, and connection and relationship building 
Was there anything else that you wanted to add? Oh, it's it's something that I could talk about all day. So don't give me the opportunity to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's absolutely absolutely great and so important these days. So um, I re I really hope that people um, really get something out of this and uh, and maybe have a look at the book. <laughs> Yeah, I will be dropping the link so that, you know, if people do want to get in touch with you or be able to find, you know, those tips for working from home, then uh, they will be able to find you uh, through the link with this podcast. Um, okay. I'm really sorry to just jump in. I, I have thought of the last thing, and it's really important. So um, It is that listen to, listen to people's advice, but then do it your own way. I should, I, sh I should have thought of that. Um, that's so, I think that's so important because there's so much advice out there at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's really good to listen to what the experts say. It's really good to listen to other people and how they've done it. Um, but actually, then you've got to find your own way and do what works for you. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah, good right. stuff. All right, well, thank you again and... Uh, yeah, look forward to reading more about your book. That's lovely. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the APA podcast, a platform for sharing knowledge and information through conversation within the flexible pavement industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you would like to be part of this podcast, please get in touch with us via our website, www.aapa.asn.au